My name is Sianda. I'm 29 years old. I was diagnosed with liver cancer in July 2017. I fell ill before I actually got diagnosed. I went through numerous doctors who actually thought it was ulcers. They couldn't track that it was actual cancer. I was admitted at the Landmark Hospital. They did all kinds of tests from blood tests, everything that wasn't done before. The doctor came in. Hi, uh, Sianda. You are very lucky to have been admitted at this time. If we had found the cancer longer, you wouldn't have survived. Apparently, I was going to survive a month or so before my actual death. Sianda Zaba is an IT service desk analyst at Investec and is one of the brave women who are sharing their cancer experience as part of an Investec Life campaign on women's health. Sianda's story is about courage, fighting and rising up to beat severe illness. Our hope is that her words may inspire more South African women to make the move from not covered to covered. I am Ingrid Booth, part of Investec's digital content team, and this is the third in a three-part Investec Life podcast series. We covered breast and lung cancer in the previous two episodes, so if you're interested, please have a listen to those wherever you get your podcasts. For today's episode, we gathered a team of experts to talk about the medical, psychological and financial aspects of liver cancer. Primary liver cancer is the sixth most common cancer globally and the third leading cause of cancer-related deaths. Liver cancer is a lot more prevalent in developing countries where new cases increased by 50% between 2005 and 2015. I asked well-known oncologist Professor Georgia Demetrio why this is the case. Liver cancer, if it starts in the liver, is, is a rare cancer. It is a cancer that has got one of its highest incidences in sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, and that's probably related to multiple factors, um, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, aflatoxins, and that's all a combination of things. Anything that can cause cirrhosis of the liver and that could be excessive fatty deposition, which over a long time causes what we call non-alcoholic steatohepatitis and then cirrhosis. That can also damage the liver and cause liver cancer increased risk. Excessive alcohol, which causes initially inflammation, irritation, damage of the liver, and then can become a, a, a hepatocellular carcinoma or an HCC, as we call it. Sometimes aflatoxins. On nuts, if they are stored in a damp area, they get a fungal infection on them. That has been implicated as well sometimes in increasing the risk of hepatocellular carcinoma. And sometimes we just don't know and it's idiopathic, as so many cancers sometimes are. Siander's symptoms started as chest pain and headaches, which is why the doctors originally diagnosed stomach ulcers. I asked Professor Demetrio what you need to look out for. So in terms of liver cancer, you can sometimes get a blockage of the bile ducts that run through the liver, and then the patient will present with either yellow eyes, what we call jaundice, or yellowing of the skin, itchiness of the skin. But that's often when the lesion is quite big and it's already blocking the outlet of bile. If you have a smaller lesion but it's starting to occupy space within the liver, the liver enzymes can start to go up. So a patient might go to their GP, they're feeling a little bit nauseous, maybe a bit queasy, and they do a set of bloods and they say, oh, this is a little bit abnormal, let's go do a sonar and look. Sometimes just incidental pain sitting, sitting in the, just sort of below the rib cage on the right-hand side of the abdomen can also be a hint that there could be something going on. So very non-specific symptoms until you have a very advanced case where you maybe then have the yellow eyes with the obstruction of the bowel leading out from the 
from the actual liver. Siander's liver cancer was not related to alcohol, but many cases are. Professor Demetrio explains why moderation is key. They say even one drink a day is too much. So maybe one a week, if you can, limit it to that. Maybe a second one, but don't overdo it. You know, more and more literature is saying it's, it's even one is maybe a little bit too much, but it's about moderation. While medical aid is essential, it doesn't always pay for all the extra treatment required, especially in Siander's situation where she had a very rare form of liver cancer. My doctor said they had to go through extreme measures to heal this cancer. It's a very rare cancer. He said one out of um, a thousand people survive. So he said, I'm very lucky. He said they had imported treatments from London or something. So I feel very special. It is these extraordinary measures needed to save a life that can run into hundreds of thousands of rands. Fortunately, there is a cover which can help you pay what medical aid can't. Severe illness cover is triggered on diagnosis of even early stage cancers and is paid directly to you to use on whatever you need to get the best treatment. Sinantlantla Nzama, lead product actuary at Investec Life, explains. Radiation and chemotherapy can cost as much as 100,000 per treatment cycle in South Africa. Given the flexibility of how you can use the payouts from a severe illness cover, I think what is also important is that it gives you the options to explore experimental uh, treatments and more importantly to even partake in trial drugs that may be happening overseas. So the payout that you get is both to participate but also to travel overseas and to stay overseas and to pay for your family and your spouse who you probably need the support from while you are overseas and, and partaking in the trials. Siander was off work for seven months. Fortunately, she was covered by her company via an income protection policy. But if you are self-employed, severe illness cover can cushion you from lengthy stays off work. Unfortunately, if you are self-employed or you are in private practice or an entrepreneur out there, you're on your own. So you have to put your own uh, provisions. Or sometimes also even if you work for a small or medium-sized company, they may, they may not have those provisions for you. So you need to look after yourself and be able to make those provisions. And these are the tough things that you can't actually rely on your, on your emergency savings because your emergency savings will, savings will last for about three months or so if you're lucky. So it's really need to ensure that you have got good financial products or insurance in place to look after you. When it comes to self-employed and doctors in private practice, as an example, what is also more important is more than just uh, protecting your own income, but also the expenses of the business. And typically you'll need to bring someone uh, like a locum, someone to look after your patients while you are out. According to Sinantlantla, it's not only important to look at what's covered when choosing a severe illness cover, but also what added value you can get. With severe illness, I think there are also other added benefits that you need to look out for. With Investec Life specifically, you find that there is an automatic cover for your children up to the age of 23. So that really gives a peace of mind that any severe illness, including the cancer that may happen to your, uh, to your kids, is fully covered. But other things are supportive mechanism, like uh, counselling, expert opinion, uh, even second opinion that you may actually be requiring and be paid by your product is quite important. Severe illness cover is definitely not something on the mind of an average 20-something like Siander. I asked Sinantlantla how early we should start getting this cover in place. It had to give an age, but I think to be prudent, the moment you have financial means, so it means the moment you start working, get some coverage. Even if it means you're getting 250000 the bare minimum and you increase as you progress within your career, that's perfectly fine, but just get something. 200000 can go a long way in topping up and, and assisting your treatment from uh, topping up your medical aid treatment. Moving on to the psychological impact of a cancer diagnosis, getting the right support is critical. 
Sianda didn't tell many people about her illness until she herself had got her head around it. I didn't want a lot of people to know. I didn't tell most of my family. I didn't tell my colleagues. I didn't tell my friends. Because when, when I first started getting ill, everybody knew that it was ulcers. So I was like, okay, let them know that it's ulcers. It's fine. I'll deal with the cancer, and then when I'm healed, then they'll know. So no, I didn't tell a lot of people. Only my grandmother knew. Clinical psychologist Grant Statham from Maureen Kark & Associates explains that people with cancer may seek different kinds of support at different stages. For everybody, it's a personal journey and it's very unique. So the need for psychological support for each and every single person will be completely unique. And it's influenced by a whole list of internal, external, societal factors, cultural differences, history, etc. So people may need assistance with the initial diagnosis and the trauma related to the diagnosis. They may need assistance with resilience factors uh, and support in getting through treatment, which are often very debilitating uh, and quite uh, intrusive. They also have difficulty often in navigating the changes that are associated to disruptions in normal functioning and relationships and systems in which they normally operate. And sometimes there's even chronic pain. And so we can categorically say that psychological and social support is really, really instrumental in helping people to navigate this journey successfully. And it's imperative. There's also a whole host of research that shows that people that undertake proactive psychological support tend to have better prognostic factors. They tend to stick to their treatment regime a lot better and are able to endure their treatment regime better and also have an improved quality of life both during the treatment process and post the treatment process. So uh, absolutely invaluable. When she returned to work, Sianda met her now fiancé, who has been a pillar of strength, especially when she has to go for checkups. He's very supportive. He's loving. He's everything <laughs> I could ask for in, in, in a man. I'm, I'm happy to have him in my life. And he just holds my hand. He knows um, I don't like going back to the hospital, so he's there to distract me. We Google up on riddles, he tells me jokes, just to make me laugh and not actually concentrate that I'm seeing the wards again and stuff. So he's very supportive. But partners of women with cancer go through their own internal struggles, says Grant. You know, no one wants to see a lover going through a process. Uh, and often within a cancer journey, we feel quite powerless to assist because we don't necessarily understand the journey there and there's nothing that we can do to alleviate the distress or the symptoms, etc. They also tend to want to make space to care for the individual that's going through the process. So they want to be as physically and emotionally available as possible. And often what happens is they ignore their own physicality and they ignore their own emotional needs and the interest of not upsetting the individual. We also forget that they also are expected to continue their normal roles and functioning and they go to work and they start to contribute and often they also pick up the additional roles that their partner used to carry. So um, when navigating a cancer journey, I always advocate that you know psychological support is provided to the cancer patient as well as an individual process being provided to their partner or their primary care relationship. And then at a later stage that they engage in a couples process so that they can discuss some of their experiences and how they navigated those experiences and what some of the expectations and requirements are from the support system you know, going forward and how they navigate the new challenges. Sianda's story is truly miraculous and she hopes it will help other women walking the same path. Yeah, after feeling ill and going through all the traumatic experience, you do become grateful for each and everything that happens in your life. The smiles, um, the thank yous that you get back, 
the smiles that you put on other people's faces. It's the little things that actually make you feel grateful for living and having to share your story like I'm, I'm doing now to other people that didn't have hope at all and them finding hope in your story. Thank you for listening to the third and final episode of our Investec Life series on women's health. You can download parts one and two from your podcast channel of choice. Please take the time to rate this conversation and to subscribe to Investec Focus Radio.